Okay, so there's this whole thing about chopping down a tree that I've been trying to talk about for a couple of minutes. With each swing of the axe, there's, you know, you are chopping away at more of the tree until it ultimately falls. And in a lot of ways, that's the way the Beatitudes are. With each successive Beatitude, it is another chop against a tree that is a tree of false understanding of salvation. And it is a tree that needs to fall. And the tree, the false understanding, is where we would think that salvation is 100% and only like about what we believe. That what we do isn't really important. That, that salvation is just, you know, like you don't have to be changed. There doesn't have to be any fruit in keeping with repentance. It's just about what you intellectually believe. And the Beatitudes are chopping that tree down saying, no, both what we believe and how we live it are important. Theologically, we call this orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Right belief, right practice. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. And the Beatitudes are chopping that false understanding down. Because if you just follow the flow of the Beatitudes, like there in verse 3, the very first one you see. You've got, let me get there, the poor in spirit. And so when you understand like your poverty of spirit, when you understand your sin, and and in verse 4 you mourn over it, and therefore, verse 5, live meekly because of it, We will then, verse 6, hunger and thirst for righteousness, which will then produce in us, see, each chop is just mercy, purity of heart, and peacemaking. Supernatural works of the Spirit that show we've been changed. That if if we are believers, we will become ever increasingly merciful and pure in heart and makers of peace. And so as the Beatitudes do their work that, and, and that tree falls, we see or we are freshly reminded that biblical faith is not just about right belief, but also right practice. Now make sure you don't misunderstand We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. So we are justified by faith alone. But biblical faith is not a faith that remains alone. It must be accompanied by life change. It shows that it's true. By transformation. By works. Because, I mean, the book of James, the whole point. Faith without works is dead. This is what each swing, each beatitude is calling out to us. And the act swings before us this morning are the act swings of mercy and peace. Chopping down the false idea that those things are like optional. Like, maybe that's a good thing to do when when everything's going pretty well, but when the world's as divided as as it is right now, we don't have to worry about mercy. No, we go for the jugular. We don't have to worry about peace. That is just a recommendation of Jesus, not a command. 
chopping that false idea down. Jesus, I mean, it's pointed. He is saying that it is only those. Can you turn me down a little bit so I can talk louder? It is only those who've been transformed into merciful people that will be shown mercy in the end. And he's saying it's also only those who've been so changed that they are now peacemakers who will be called sons of God, children of God, it's both in the end. And so this morning, as we look at Beatitudes 5 and 7, what I want to constantly be going through all of our hearts and all of our minds, very introspective. I mean, this thing is going to read us like a mirror today. Is to constantly be asking ourselves, like, is this me? Am I merciful? And then how? Like, what, how, how, how do I show that? If I claim it, What's the evidence for it? And then similarly, am I a peacemaker? And what evidence of there in your life is there of that? And so with that said, let's jump in. And first, I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, come. You are here. Search us. Open our eyes to see the grievousness of our hearts that's still there, that still works in us and lead us to repentance and to turn from other things and sin and turn to you. Lead us in the way of righteousness for your name's sake. Amen. And so just as we've been doing the whole time through the Beatitudes, the actual Beatitude is your note. And so number one is Beatitude, uh, Beatitude number five. It's there in verse seven. And so number one in your notes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so as you're reading that, you may be thinking, I, I even said it a little bit earlier, Pastor Joe, does this mean, is Jesus saying here that we will only receive mercy if we ourselves are merciful? Yes. 100%. Absolutely, he means that. But don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that like the cause of our receiving mercy will be the fact that we are merciful, as though we had somehow earned God's mercy. He's not saying that. Rather, being merciful is the natural result of receiving Christ and experiencing His grace. Again, it's about being changed. And so what Jesus is getting at is that if we are not merciful right now in this life, then we haven't received mercy. And if we haven't received mercy, then we won't receive it in the end. If we haven't received it now, we won't receive it in the end. And being merciful gives evidence that we've been changed by his mercy. Well, what exactly is mercy, though? Is it kindness? 
I think so, yeah. I think that's got some of it. Is it forgiveness? I think there's parts of, of mercy that definitely have forgiveness all through it. Is it compassion? Yes, absolutely it's compassion. In fact, that's sometimes used as a synonym. But mercy is more than just a feeling of compassion. Mercy is active. It is an active thing. Mercy exists when something is done to alleviate someone else's distress. That's mercy. Okay, it gives attention to those who are hurting, to those who are suffering, to those who are marginalized, those who are cast aside, those who are struggling. And that could be economically, physically, socially, mentally, spiritually. It's all of that. Now, that's what differentiates mercy from grace. There's some overlap, but grace, by and large, is favor shown to the undeserving. That's what grace is. Favor shown to the undeserving, whereas mercy is compassion shown to the suffering. So mercy is favor shown to the undeserving. Mercy is compassion shown to the suffering. So from Christ we receive mercy, compassion shown to us suffering in our sins, suffering in this life, and we receive grace, favor for the undeserved. But the best way to really kind of capture, rather than the definition, I'd rather us just capture the feel of mercy. And so I think the best way to do that is to look at Jesus' illustration that he gives of the Great Samaritan. And so if you will turn a little bit to your right to the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you're in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the big numbers that you come to are the chapters, the little numbers are the verses. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Here's what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus says that. And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, which is just like us, we are all self-justifiers. Every single person in this room is a self-justifier. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him, and give me the word, mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And so I think there are four aspects of mercy. Jesus, the, the answer is, showed him mercy. I think there are four aspects of this mercy we can pick up on here. And the first one is this. Mercy sees distress, right? It sees it. The Samaritan saw the distress, but it doesn't stop there because also the Levites saw him. The priests saw him as well. So what makes mercy mercy is then the next step that mercy internally feels compassion, right? We see that, I mean, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, all right, he noticed the distress, that's part of it, he had compassion. And so mercy sees distress, mercy responds with compassion internally, and then thirdly, mercy responds externally with action. Even sacrificial action to relieve the distress. I mean, verse 34, the Samaritan got involved. He jumped in. He did something. He sacrificed his convenience. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his emotions because he got involved. And, and, and he sacrificed his cleanliness. I mean, this guy's dirty. He's bleeding, right? He's cleaning him up. He sacrificed his money. I mean, he gave the innkeeper a blank check. Hey, whatever he needs, you take care of it. Let me know. And so first, mercy notices, right? It doesn't have a blind eye to the plight of others. Mercy notices. And then mercy responds with compassion, not coldness. And then mercy gets involved. It doesn't make excuses, reasons to stay out of it, right? I mean, the priest is like, well, I might be ceremonial unclean if I touch this guy. Listen, it's not a sin to be ceremonial unclean, but priest, it is a sin to not show mercy. Jesus says this is one of the weightier matters of the law. And so you got one, two, three. Notice, compassion, do something. But then there's one more we need to see. Mercy acts even when the person in distress is considered an enemy. The Samaritans and Jews did not like one another. The Jews had a sinful hatred towards the Samaritans and the Samaritans reciprocated. Mercy acts even when the person in distress is considered an enemy perceived to be an enemy. That's mercy. And so let me ask you, do you show that? Do you show mercy? Are your eyes opened to the distress around you in the world? Like, do you care? When you see people hurting, Regardless of why, regardless of the reasons of why they may be hurting, the fact is people are hurt. Do you care when people hurt? Do you care when people are crying out? Is there compassion? 
And then moving to action, when was the last time? Ask yourself that you inconvenienced yourself to help someone who was suffering. Who was bruised and broken. Regardless of what the reason may be. Or have you made it a habit to, maybe not always, but very, very often, find a reason to pass by on the other side? To not consider people more important than yourself. Well, I can't help them. They, they disagree with me politically. I'm not going to do what might be helpful to them. That might infringe on my rights, my liberties. Friends, don't be the Levite or the priest and hide behind unbiblical scruples to get yourself out of sacrificially serving someone. Be the Samaritan. Be Jesus. Be like Jesus. Be a good neighbor and notice those who are in need. Have compassion for people who suffer. Be willing to stop and help even when it's inconvenient. Refuse to draw artificial boundaries of I'll help these people but not these people. Refuse to draw artificial boundaries in order to avoid getting involved. Help people. Make costly sacrifices to do so. Of money and time. But also maybe admitting, I've been wrong in the past. Or my parents were wrong. And friends, as I've said before, as you live as a good neighbor, like a good neighbor is one who, as he keeps traveling down that Samaritan's road, if he begins noticing quite repeatedly that there are people in the road in need of help over and over and over and over again, yes, he still stops and helps the one, but he also pauses to ask the question, why do people keep winding up on the side of the road over and over and over? What's the underlying condition here? What's going on that makes this happen in the first place? This is what mercy does. And listen, a lack of mercy is marked by people who betray Jesus. Look at Judas. Every single time Jesus showed mercy, Judas was like, why are you doing that? That person's this. That person's a sinner. That person's a prostitute. Why are you doing this? A lack of mercy is marked by those who betray Jesus. But showing mercy is the heart of God. It's the story of the Bible. He has shown mercy on sinners like us. And it must become our heart as well. We must be changed to have a heart full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. And the key to doing that is, again, to remember and recognize our spiritual poverty, our weakness, our sinfulness. Because when we do that, we will begin to see the weaknesses and sins of others differently. When we recognize our own sinfulness, if we, recognize, like if we are poor in spirit, we come to understand our failings and we will develop a certain patience towards others. 
and be more tender because we know what lurks in our hearts. And be more empathetic because we know what's in our hearts and we will develop compassion with the failings of others. And then we'll no longer condescend. What is wrong with him? Why would she do that? How could she ever make that choice? Instead, we show mercy. Friends, how much mercy you show is certainly indicative of how much mercy you know. He who has been forgiven much will forgive much. Recognize your spiritual poverty. It will drive you to be merciful. And so have you been changed? Are you a merciful person? And don't tell me about that one mission trip you went on that one time. Day in, day out, as you live your life, what would point to the fact of your claim that you are a merciful person? Would your social media point out that you are merciful? It got real quiet. Folks, do you want to be blessed by God? Be merciful. Be merciful. Blessed are the merciful. That's act swing number one. Mercy matters, okay? It matters. Act swing number two. So does peacemaking. These are not optional add-ons to Christianity. This is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Is to be someone who's merciful, and someone who is a peacemaker. And so number two in your notes, write out the uh, seventh beatitude there in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. The word's adolfoi, it can be translated both ways. Blessed are the peacemakers. We need some peacemaking today. And notice what it says. It says sons are children of God. And so this isn't talking about what everyone else in the world does. This isn't calling other people to peace. This is calling the children of God, those who have entrusted their lives, their hope, their salvation, their eternality to Jesus. We are called to be peacemakers. This verse isn't telling us how to become children of God. right? John 1.12 does that. To those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will nor of the flesh, but of God. That's how we become children of God. Salvation is by faith alone, but again, it's a faith that then must change us, and one of the marks is peace, peace, peacemaking. It doesn't make us children of God, but it is a characteristic of the children of God because it is a characteristic of the Father. And there's to be a family resemblance. I mean, like Sarah's down here on the front row with our four kiddos. And if they took their masks off so you could actually see their face, you would notice there is a strong family resemblance. Like There's no denying that these beautiful kiddos 
are like their beautiful mom. Like they belong to her. You can see that. There is a family resemblance. Likewise, there is to be a family resemblance between us and our father. His, not, you know, appearance, but his characteristics should mark us. And so Jesus has come and he's made peace with us vertically. He's made peace for us horizontally. He's given his peace to us personally. And we're to do the same. We are to be peacemakers. Now, that doesn't always mean we're going to be peace achievers. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, comma, so far as it depends on you, comma, be at peace with all people. If possible. Like peacemakers long for peace, they work for peace, they will sacrifice for peace, but the attainment of peace may not come. But the impossibility that Paul has in mind there doesn't relate to our actions, we're to seek it. But it's to relate to things that are outside of our control. So far as it depends on you, like you have a responsibility, but you can't control someone else. And you can't control, like, how they might respond. All you can do is control you. But too often today, I feel like Christians in this culture today are like insecure middle schoolers who are just walking around looking to fight somebody. Oh, they gave me a side glance. Wham! Let's attack. Oh, gave me a side glance. Wham! Let's boycott you. Listen, there are things to fight for. Truth always trumps peace. Purity wins out over peace. But a lot of times, not a lot of times, always your opinion loses to peace. We'll stand strong on thus saith the Lord. Because thus saith the Lord. He's God. But we don't stand strong on thus saith a person. We're to seek peace. And so again, introspective. Do you? Do I? Do we? Do we seek peace? Like in this divided time with divisions, let's call it what it is, over masks, over corona, over politics, over how do we respond to this social justice issue or this thing over here? How do we respond to schools? How do we, like all these divisions that exist in way more than I just enumerated. In the midst of those, are you a peacemaker? Is your social media presence a place of peacemaking or division? If blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, then the inverse of that would be cursed are the peace breakers. 
for they shall be called sons of Satan. Which family resemblance does your social media presence convey? And listen, peacemaking is hard. It is very, very hard. And the only way we will ever show this kind of peace to others is, again, when we reflect on the kind of peace that's been shown to us. The peace from Christ that's been shown to us. I mean, when we were, Romans 5, yet, if you know the verse, what's the word? Enemies. When we were yet at enmity with God, Jesus, Colossians 1.20, made peace with us by the blood of His cross. It took His life. It was costly. It took sacrifice. It takes humility to be a peacemaker. And so listen to how Jesus brought peace to us out of Philippians chapter 2 and how we also are to bear the family resemblance. He starts with calling us to something and then he gives us the example of Jesus. Paul writes here, do nothing, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so in obtaining our peace, notice Jesus didn't grasp his glory. He didn't hang on to his dignity. He humbled himself. Friends, this must be true of us as well. Peacemakers are willing to lower themselves. Peacemakers are willing to lose their dignity in order to bring peace, shalom to others. And so here's what I want to call us to do out of this beatitude. I want us, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, to refuse to participate in the violent polarization of our day. I mean, partisan politics, here we go. As hard as it may be for many of you to believe, there are... Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, fully-surrendered men and women who will vote Democrat. And Democrats, for as hard as it may be for you to believe, there are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, seriously biblical people who will vote Republican. 
And listen, I'm not asking any of us to agree on jagged line issues. There's some straight line ones we need to agree on. But jagged line issues, I'm not asking us to agree on that. That's not our unity. Our unity is in Jesus Christ, not in uniformity around politics. It is not. But what I am asking us to do is to take seriously this command to be peacemakers. To show mercy to other people. Rather than exaggerating or bearing false witness on Facebook. Bearing false witness. That's like Ten Commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Like, what would it be like for us to refuse, us as children of God, His people, to participate in the divisiveness? I'm not saying not participate in the political process, but in the divisiveness of today. What would it be like? What would it be like for us to seek first to understand rather than demanding we're understood? What would it be like for us to not think that everybody on the other side than us is either insane or just straight up evil? That they may nuance some jagged line issues a little different. And listen, I mean, you know me well enough. Abortion is evil. Okay? It, it is. But there are jagged line issues that others may adjudicate in a different way. What would it be like for us to remember as we discourse our lowliness, our poverty of spirit, our spiritual need, our mourning over our sin, and a meekness lived out, recognizing all of that in us, and therefore then have compassion and mercy towards others? I mean, how discombobulating would that be to the rest of the world who just wants to see people fight? In a world of heightened language, tons of caricatures, straw man stuff, both sides do this. A lot of misunderstanding. I'm asking, can we not participate in that? It does not honor Christ. Actions matter, just like words. Means matter, not just ends. Now listen, hold your positions, okay? Hold your convictions, vote your conscience. Absolutely, not. I am not calling you not to do those things. But for the love of God, and I mean that, for the love of God, act like a Christian when you hold your positions. People who are lowly, people who are merciful, people who are peacemakers, people who know that Jesus sits on the throne. He's sovereign. He sets up kings. He takes kings down. I mean, it's easy, so easy to get caught up in it. I have. But we need to remember our ultimate allegiance. And hold our convictions absolutely, but hold them rightly. And when we disagree, we do so charitably. And so let me ask a super pointed question. 
in this hyper-politicized climate of today, let me ask you to consider, to think through hard. Think through that. Do not give me a Sunday school answer here. Introspective. Think. Truly. Be honest. Don't self-justify. You and the Lord... For whom do you feel greater affection? People who... Who do you feel greater affection and more of a kindred spirit with? Let's add that in. You feel more of a kindred spirit with. People who agree with your politics, but not... With your faith. Or. People. Who share your faith. But not. Your politics. Who do you feel more kindred toward? If it's the first one. Instead of the second. Then we are rendering unto Caesar. What is the Lord's. And that's called idolatry. And we need to repent. Let's not be disciples of a political platform. Let's be disciples of Jesus, who is the King of kings and has a kingdom that is not of this world. And so at the end of the day, we come back to those questions I began the sermon with, saying I want you to think through these the whole time. Every person in this room. Are you a peacemaker? Are you merciful? And what evidence is there in your life to back that up? What would your family say? Would your family label you as a merciful individual? Would your family label you? Would they say, yeah, he's a peacemaker? What would other church members say? Would they say, yep, that guy's a merciful person. He seeks to make peace. What would those at your work say? Would they say that you are a merciful individual? That you are a peacemaker? Who would those still at work that that you supervise? What would they say? Would they describe you as merciful and peacemaking? Or those that supervise you as they evaluate, would they say, yeah, he's a merciful guy, he's a peacemaker. What does your social media presence convey about you? Blessed, loved by God, approved by God are the merciful. Blessed, loved by God, approved by God, are the peacemakers. I pray that these axe swings this morning have hit true. And any false understanding that these beatitudes are unimportant or optional, only for time when things are good, but we set them aside in other times, I pray that tree has 
stolen. Jesus' word, the word of God, blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy, and blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God, children of God. Friends, we have an opportunity in this crazy politicized time to show that Jesus is glorious by living like he told us to. To show that he is supreme, that he is our king. And we, we follow him, not partisan politics. Vote your conscience, but live for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us to be merciful. It it takes your spirit to do that. We are not merciful on our own. We are sinners. We are attackers. We don't. We are not prone to. We are prone to want, I mean, the survival of the fittest. So, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's not a beatitude. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be those that are... We seek it. And we look to Jesus who sacrificed. It cost his life to bring peace to us. And we seek to bring peace into the spaces we invade. Father, help us to be peacemakers, not peace breakers. Help us to bring glory to your name through obedience to your word. All of it. Not just the part that we get excited about. And forgive us, God. Forgive us for where we have not been peaceful. Where we have not been merciful. Where we've had a through words, but a shoot first, ask questions later mentality, Father. Help us to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Help us to be humble in spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.